Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. For decades, the simplest calculation in politics was a stance on crime. Politicians had to be tough on crime. This was the case long after crime rates had fallen to historic lows, long after the racist horrors of mass incarceration were apparent, long after the link between crime rates and being tough on crime had been called into question. San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin represented departure from the old line. He took an aggressive stance towards police brutality and seemed to be the avatar of the deeper reconsiderations of criminal justice. But crime has gone up in San Francisco and across the state, and now Boudin faces a recall effort that could very well succeed. We'll talk with him for the hour after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As the most left-leaning large metropolitan area, San Francisco stands in for liberals in national, particularly right-leaning media. So when Chesa Boudin, who campaigned on turning away from the policies of mass incarceration, was elected district attorney, it was predictable he would become a target of right-wing media. What was less predictable was the arrival of the pandemic, which pushed crime rates up across the country and in just about all of California's large cities. Car break-ins, carjackings, assaults on Asian elders, brazen shoplifting. These crimes, their victims, and the video evidence of them pouring out of San Francisco have heightened the perception that crime is out of control in the city. Someone has to be held accountable, right? So San Francisco voters will go to the polls on June 7th to decide whether to recall Boudin. He joins us this morning to talk about his philosophy and record in office. We'll, of course, be taking your calls and questions as the hour goes on. Welcome to the show, San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin. Thanks, Alexis. Good to be with you. So I know this is a hard time for you personally. Your mother died just 10 days ago, and we just wanted to extend our, our condolences to you. Thank you, Alexis. Never a good time to lose uh, a parent. And obviously this, uh, this week and this month is, is particularly hard. It was Mother's Day. It was just now about a week before my mother's birthday. And, and as you point out, um, I'm on the ballot in less than a month. Yeah. For listeners from outside of San Francisco who are maybe less familiar with your story, can you tell us about how your experience with your parents' incarceration informed your ideas about criminal justice? When I was 14 months old, my parents left me at the babysitter, and they never came back to get me. That day, while I was playing, they participated as unarmed drivers in a getaway car in an armed robbery that resulted in the murder of three men, two police officers. Even though my parents didn't personally hurt anyone or, or, or carry a weapon, my father was ultimately sentenced to 75 years to life, my mother to 20 years to life. I, I don't remember their arrest. I don't remember getting picked up from the babysitter by a friend, bouncing from friend to family. Um, my earliest memories are visiting my parents in prison, waiting in lines to go through steel gates and metal detectors just to be able to give my mom a hug. 
And over the years, now decades of prison visits, I came to realize that our approach in this country to crime and punishment was not working. It wasn't working no matter what your metric or or priorities are. It's, It's not rehabilitating people. It's not meaningfully supporting crime victims and survivors. And it's bankrupting local governments and starving them of the resources that they so desperately need to invest in things that make the kind of safe, vibrant communities we all want to call home, mental health care, drug treatment, housing, employment, uh, job opportunities. And so I started my career looking at ways to fix this profoundly failed system. And that's exactly what we've tried to do as district attorney of San Francisco. We've tried to implement evidence-based policies that more effectively hold people accountable, that invest more resources in supporting crime victims and survivors of crime, and that collaborate across disciplines and agencies to have more effective responses to the kinds of things, the problems that so often get dumped on the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. I mean, you came in to the district attorney's office, you know, not having tried a, a case as a prosecutor, really different ideas about what a DA should do. Going in, what did you think you needed to prove to your detractors to so that they would get on, on board with your program? I've been laser focused since day one on implementing policies that make San Francisco safer. I believe every single criminal justice reform measure we've taken in the last two and a half years has been aimed at restoring trust in law enforcement and in the criminal justice system and at finding evidence-based ways to reduce crime through effective forms of accountability. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of that. But one is we know that sexual assaults are one of the most underreported categories of serious crime. And there's lots of reasons why survivors of sexual assault don't come forward. But one of them is they don't trust the process. They don't trust law enforcement. And so when I learned that the San Francisco Police Department was maintaining a secret database of DNA profiles of sexual assault survivors and using that database for investigations totally unrelated to the underlying sexual assault, I didn't sweep it under the rug. I didn't look the other way. Instead... We raised awareness. We co-sponsored legislation in Sacramento that's now passed out of the uh, Senate Public Safety Committee that would prohibit law enforcement anywhere in the state of California from abusing the trust of sexual assault survivors in that way. We want to send a simple and clear message to all those who survive sexual assault. We are here for you. We support you. And we will respect and protect your privacy and do everything in our power to hold those who've harmed you accountable. Yeah, you faced a lot of criticism for that as well, right? And many people have called into question whether that made it possible for you to work with the police. Alexis, uh, we face criticism uh, every time we cough, every, everything we do. That's the nature of politics in this moment. But l- let's be honest, we need to eliminate barriers to reporting. And if, if the cost of doing the right thing, of promoting transparency and trust and justice is that some people get upset, that's a cost I'm willing to pay. We've got to do the right thing. The stakes are too high when we're talking about sexual assault survivors. Yeah. Well, I think the, the criticism was about the way that you went about it, right, as opposed to the fact of, of the thing, right? And I think that 
a lot of the criticisms I was like preparing for the show and just have you know being being in the area feels like a, a lot of the criticism is that you've tried to bust up the relationships that have long existed between DAs and and police, but you've actually pushed back on that and and tried to say that actually, particularly with the police union, there's always been a pretty nasty back and forth between the police union and whoever was DA. Is that how you see it? Well, it's it's objective fact. You can go back um, decades in San Francisco history, and what you see is the police union, the police officers association, using the district attorney's office as a foil to point the finger to justify racist policies, ineffective police work by some of their members, uh, police brutality. Uh, this is not a issue unique to my administration. In fact, I was at an event in the Richmond district a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to people, voters, constituents, and someone came up to me at the event, told me they'd been a police officer for more than 20 years before they retired, and that when they started, this is before Terrence Hallinan was DA, they were told by people in the union, don't make too many arrests, don't work too hard, blame the DA. Then, of course, Terrence Hallinan uh, gets elected. We all know the history, the Fajita Gate scandal, the ways in which his administration and the police union didn't get along. Kamala Harris elected, on, among other things, a promise never to seek the death penalty. And when she followed through on that promise, the police union viciously attacked her. And then, of course, George Gascon gets appointed by then-Mayor Gavin Newsom. And Gascon had been the chief of the San Francisco Police Department immediately prior to his appointment as district attorney. If there's anybody who's going to be able to have a good relationship with the police department, surely it's their former chief. And yet the police union viciously attacked him, undermined him, spread lies about him and his administration. It is no surprise that they're continuing to do the same thing to me and my administration. Chris, none of those DAs were recalled. What do you think is different about your situation? We're living in a moment of recalls all across the state. They tried to recall Governor Newsom. There have been more than 70 attempted recalls in the last year across the state of California. And I think um, what we're seeing is a massive influx of money from primarily billionaire Republicans who are flexing their political muscle and trying to redo the outcome of a free and fair Democratic election where their preferred outcome simply didn't prevail. You know, thinking about this recall, you know, in the way that the voting worked where you got elected, you were sort of uh, elected with the largest number of votes, but not a, a clear majority. Do you see this recall? It was obviously it was a Democratic election. It was a real and, and, and fair election. But this setup of the recall is a, a much more difficult challenge, right? Because you didn't have a majority going in and all you and now you need to get one. Well, I had a majority of the votes. Um, I had the most first-choice votes, and I had the most votes after ranked choice. Right. So right. I did have a majority, but you're right that in a four-way race in San Francisco where we use a ranked choice system, mm -hmm. um, we don't do a runoff. If we had done a runoff, then I would have won, and I would have had a larger number of votes. Mm -hmm. But San Francisco Department of Elections, in its wisdom, uses a more efficient, uh, cost-effective approach, which is instant runoff, where voters get to choose mm -hmm. between multiple candidates and rank them in order. It's really increasingly unusual, sadly, in San Francisco and beyond to have true open contested elections. In fact, the 2019 race in which I won was the first time in 110 years in San Francisco history when there had been a district attorney race with no incumbent named on the ballot. And, and let's not forget that um, 
in the month before the election, someone was appointed to fill the, fill the role. Their name didn't show up on the ballot as incumbent. But we have seen increasingly efforts to do end runs around open competitive races through the appointment process. And we've seen almost every single elected official in this city, in citywide races, be appointed in the last couple of years rather than win through the battle of ideas and democratic process where voters listen to candidates, vision and platform, evaluate their track record and credentials, and then vote on which person they think is most likely to do the job they want done. That's how I won, and that's how I'd love to continue to compete for the support of San Francisco voters. Do you think you're going to win? Absolutely. Even given the the, polling that's at least public polling that has been out kind of showing that it's an uphill battle. Well, none of the public polling we've seen uses the kind of rigorous polling methodology that um, trusted pollsters would rely on, first of all. Second of all, what we see every day on the ground is that voters are only just now really starting to dig in and pay attention. Um, When we're knocking on doors, text banking, phone banking, we're getting an overwhelmingly positive response from people we talk to. And, And part of it is just getting the facts in front of voters. Uh, For example, who's on which side of this issue? The San Francisco Republican Party has endorsed the recall. The Democratic Party has opposed it. The ACLU has opposed it. Everybody voters trust is opposing this recall. The Sierra Club, the San Francisco Chronicle, the Bay Area Reporter, the nurses, the teachers, the San Francisco Labor Council. When voters know where the lines are drawn and who's on which side, they want to be on the right side of history. They don't want to join forces with Fox News, with Tucker Carlson, with Senator Ted Cruz, with the billionaires who funded the Republican takeover of the Supreme Court so that they can undermine Roe v. Wade and attack voting rights. We're talking with San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin about the recall effort against him on the June 7th ballot. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin about his record in office and the recall effort against him on the June 7th ballot. Want to open the phones now. What questions do you have for D.A. Boudin, and what do you think of this recall? You can give us a call. The phone number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. And, of course, the email is forum at kqed.org. D.A. Boudin, I want to ask you about crime and rising crime and crime statistics. Do you think San Francisco, looking at the statistics, is seeing anything different from 
you know, Los Angeles, Oakland, Sacramento, and other comparable cities. San Francisco has always, sadly, led the country for at least a decade in property crime. And that was an issue that was front and center in my campaign in 2019. And it's an issue that we've been laser-focused on since taking office. Um, we launched, for example, a innovative auto-burglary sting operation called Operation Autopilot. And we started working on that as soon as I took office. It was something, again, I'd campaigned on. And just yesterday, we were able to announce the successful outcome of that first stage of that operation. We identified a major fence moving millions of dollars of stolen goods, largely stolen goods from auto burglaries, not just out of San Francisco, but across the planet. And yesterday, my investigative team, in partnership with federal law enforcement partners um, and in an operation that was supported by San Francisco SAFE, managed to make an arrest and seize not just more than $10,000 in cash, but hundreds, if not thousands, of individual electronic devices that had been stolen and packaged for shipping around the world. It's that kind of proactive approach to preventing property crime, to protecting our city, that I'm proud of leading the way on. We know that auto burglaries have been the number one category of property crime in San Francisco for years. They hit a peak in 2017 when 31,000 were reported, probably double that with underreporting. How, how many of those see an arrest? About 1% right now. So that means if someone comes to San Francisco, breaks into a car window and steals a bag, there's a 99% chance, if it gets reported, that no one will be arrested. We prosecute the vast majority of cases police bring us in, in, in terms of auto burglaries and drug sales and so many other uh, high visibility crimes. And yet, when only 1% result in arrests, when only two drug sales cases lead to arrest a day in San Francisco citywide, we know we've got to think outside the box, big picture. And that's why I'm proud of my team that's taking the lead on coming up with the kinds of operations that will dismantle the fencing operations that create so much demand for stolen goods that make these crimes profitable in the first place. You know, when we think about a stat like that, you know, 1% of car break-ins, there's actually an arrest made. What does that say about how we need to do criminal justice or police work or, you know, uh, in in general, this like th that is a broken system, right? I mean, that stat to me just speaks volumes because it's such a, a, a thing that San Franciscans complain about constantly and yet not much is, is happening. So how do you want to rethink fundamentally how that process works? You know, I think it's a good reminder of the need to prevent crimes, not just react after the fact. And a traditional prosecutor is really focused on punitive justice, on reacting once a crime has been committed and punishing the person who committed it. But we see in situations like auto burglaries, the limits of that approach. If only 1% get arrested, punishing, however harshly, that 1% is not an effective deterrent. A, a in some ways, more uh, serious example of the need for prevention is with gun violence. Look, when someone's been shot or killed, we cannot undo that harm. You can't just fix the window or replace the computer that was stolen. The harm is irreparable to people who are injured in gun violence or killed by guns. That's why instead of simply waiting for police to make arrests in gun cases and prosecuting those cases, which of course we continue to do at rates higher than my predecessor or neighboring county DAs, we're also being proactive under my administration about preventing gun violence. We filed a groundbreaking lawsuit 
against three companies manufacturing ghost guns, guns that are designed to be used in crimes, to be untraceable with no serial number, guns that are shipped to anybody with an Internet account and that can be assembled in as little as 20 minutes in people's garage or backyard. Those guns are responsible for a massive increase in gun violence across the country. And San Francisco, my office, is leading the way on asking courts to prohibit those companies from profiting off of the pain and violence in our communities. That's how we're proactive. That's how we build public safety. That's how we prevent crime. D.A. Boudin, going to start getting to some listener uh, comments and calls. Uh, Charles writes in to say, why doesn't D.A. Boudin directly address the families he has put in danger in San Francisco by not prosecuting breaking entries into their home, including armed breaking and entry? Personally, I saw the police department not even bother to take fingerprints because they knew the district attorney would not prosecute, which is completely backwards. Yeah, that's just simply not true. And I'm sorry if somebody's giving you misinformation. We prosecute residential burglaries at rates that are dramatically higher than police make arrests in. Uh, Police currently make arrests in about 8% of residential burglaries. And when they bring us evidence, we file charges and we hold people accountable. But we certainly cannot file criminal charges if police don't do the follow-up investigation for whatever reason. It's a little bit like you know, um, a chef in a restaurant refusing to cook food for a customer uh, because he doesn't like the way the customer eats. That's what we're dealing with here. Um, We cannot eat. We can't prosecute cases if the police don't bring them to us for whatever reason. And so I know there's talk about uh, police staffing and funding levels. There's talk about morale. Um, I don't have the answer. I don't run the police department. The chief of police does. He reports to the police commission and the mayor. Um, I know that when police make arrests and bring us cases, we are filing criminal charges at rates that are substantially higher in most categories than my predecessor and the neighboring county district attorneys. You know, there's a a sense which I'm going to use listener Linda um, and a comment that she made. There's There's a sense that things are just out of control in San Francisco. Linda writes, All D.A. Boudin is talking about is politics. Why don't you discuss the outrageous levels of property crimes, the non-prosecution of criminals, and the fact that the city has become a hellhole that no tourist in their right mind would want to visit? You know, it strikes me that this is really a comment about a a system that's broken and maybe even a society that feels broken to people. What role can the D.A. play in that? Well, we're playing a leadership role in doing the kind of groundbreaking investigations that are necessary not only to prosecute one person who breaks one car window, which we're still doing. Roughly 80 percent of the arrests police make, we're filing charges in. Um, but we're also taking apart the fencing operations, right, the big fish. It's that kind of innovative approach to policing that, frankly, we'd love to partner with the San Francisco Police Department on that we are partnering with other law enforcement agencies that have the capacity to step up and and do that work with us. Um, We know that property crime has been a major problem in San Francisco for years. This isn't a new problem. It's not something that is connected to my administration. It it may have gotten worse in some ways during a global pandemic when our city shut down, when tourism uh, disappeared from all across the world. But if you look at actual reported crime numbers, the truth is in the two and a half years I've been in office, there have been 27,000 fewer reported crimes than there were in the two and a half years before I took office. Now, we know the global pandemic played a major role in that, but we can only prosecute cases when someone calls the police, 
when police respond, investigate, and make an arrest. And when they do that, we're prosecuting and we're holding people accountable using evidence-based techniques, following state law, working with reentry partners, with uh, justice system partners to hold people accountable in ways that treat every arrest as an opportunity to transform lives away from crime. We're talking with San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin about his time in office and the recall effort against him on the June 7th ballot. What questions do you have for D.A. Boudin? What do you think of the recall? What would you like to see the D.A. do differently? And let's bring in our first caller. Oh, the number, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Let's bring in Rye from San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Yeah, my comment is basically, I think, uh, you know, what this, to a large part, kind of piggybacking on what Linda said, even though I don't really agree with her. um, This recall stands as sort of a referendum on the crises that we're experiencing in the city as a whole, whether or not, you know, uh, Chase Boudin is directly responsible or not responsible. Um, you, You have all of these huge um, issues mostly associated with quality of life and things that people are seeing not improving. And I think that I wonder if, you know, if this were to succeed, how much of it really has to do with policies that Bodine has directly implemented or whether or not it's just I'm pissed off and mm-hmm. this guy's on the ballot. So I'm voting against him. Thank you for that comment, Rye. Um, I, you know, D.A. Boudin, I have a friend here in Oakland who owns a shop in downtown. It's been broken into four times uh, in the last nine months. And he took me aside when I, I saw him the other day, and he was just like, how do we have this conversation? Like, something has to change here. Like, I can't, I can't do this. And the, the frustration of somebody like that and the desire to even have a, a, a way to think about what accountability for elected officials would look like for these kinds of of things. What do you think, like how should the public be judging your performance as the DA in San Francisco, knowing that property crimes preceded you, they will follow you, but but how should they judge your performance? Well, Alexis, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to your friend, and that was in Oakland, right? Yeah, that was in Oakland. That's not on you. But there's not a recall against the Alameda County District Attorney, is there? No. And in Sacramento County, where there's a tough on crime, former Republican prosecutor now running against the Democratic attorney general, violent and property crimes have skyrocketed in the last two years, including repeat offenders, people who got out of prison after plea deals that were involved in mass shootings. And we don't see a recall against her. In fact, we see the people bankrolling the recall against me, maxing out their campaign contributions to her. So let's be really honest about what's at stake here and about what's behind this recall. It has nothing to do with property crimes. And to the extent that folks, you know, like the comment we just heard, are concerned in in ways that are totally reasonable and that we all should be concerned about the quality of life in our city, we need to be honest with each other about the role that everybody plays and what the limits of one elected official or one office are. The problem with the recall is that instead of focusing on the kinds of complicated, nuanced discussions that can lead to better policy and more accountability, they're dumbing down the conversation to focus narrowly on one elected official who's been in office for just two years during a global pandemic. And and let's be really clear, homelessness, policing, 
All these kinds of things are not the responsibility of the district attorney. Drug treatment, mental health care. We have a $14 billion budget. The district attorney oversees about $75 million of that budget. There's a massive, massive city, bureaucracy, agencies, departments that are responsible for doing the work around housing, around health care, even within the criminal justice system. Judges make decisions every day about who to release from custody. Police make decisions about how much time to spend following up and investigating cases. The notion that simply changing who the district attorney is, is a panacea, is going to magically solve long-standing problems that don't just affect San Francisco, but that we see are far worse in places as close as Oakland and further afield in Sacramento. It's just simply dishonest. But even on your own terms, I mean, you came in as a possible transformative figure for the DA's office. I mean, that, that is the promise of DA Boudin, right? So there are some things you can do. So even on your own terms, I just want to get back to this question. How should we judge your performance in office as the DA? Well, first of all, in my inauguration speech, I made it crystal clear. The failures of mass incarceration, the prison industrial complex, the racial disparities, the underinvestment in communities, that was a system that took decades and decades to build. And so in my inauguration speech, I made it clear. We're not going to expect to see solutions overnight, not in a year, not in a term. I never expected to have a global pandemic. I never expected to have to try to govern and run my office via Zoom. Those were challenges that none of us could have anticipated, that have radically redefined the way we live our lives, the way crime trends move. And even courtroom capacity was reduced to about 10%. But if you want to ask for a way to judge my success in office, Alexis, I would point to our work on victim services. My number one commitment since day one has been to expand victim services, to take money that's saved from decarceration, from expanding diversion, and to dedicate it to increasing resources for survivors of crime. And I am proud of the work we've done. We've created 10 new full-time victim advocate positions. For the first time in San Francisco history, we have property crime advocates, people focused on supporting victims of property crime, something amazingly the office never had before my administration. When I started in office, we had one Chinese-speaking victim advocate for the entire city. Now we've got more than five, including the first ever head of victim services, who's a Chinese-American and fully trilingual in Cantonese, Mandarin, and English. The work that we're doing, creating housing for domestic violence survivors, creating pilot projects to help small businesses repair their windows or their storefronts after they've been broken into or vandalized, that work is transformative, and we're doing it every single day. A few comments from listeners. Listener writes, whether you approve of D.A. Chase Boudin or disapprove, he has become so embroiled in controversy, he is now ineffective. Rachel writes, I've been a fan of D.A. Boudin's vision since the beginning. As a change agent, I know what a long haul it is to bring about the deep transformation. He intuits and knows based on research will work best for all over time. We each have to do our parts to develop a society that is healthy and crime-free. This is far bigger than any one leader can attain. I hope San Francisco will retain this bright, caring, and visionary man. Shannon writes, Like many other San Franciscans, I disagree with everything Chase Boudin has said. I have been the victim of crimes, and I believe all criminals should be locked up. I am a lifelong Democrat and liberal, but I am voting against Chase Boudin, and in the future, I will only vote for candidates who are tough on crime. That will probably be Republicans, and I've never voted Republican in the past, but I am fed up with all of the crime and all of the gentle handling of criminals. Anyone who uses a gun in a crime should get life imprisonment. You know, Shannon's comment, D.A. Boudin, 
during 2020 and 2019, and in, the, in really the decade preceding it, there had been a lot of changes in thinking about the criminal justice system. And it just, I, you know, I don't have the polling to, at my fingertips, but it feels like there has been a, a, a retrenchment of this idea we need to be tough on crime. Do you think that's true? You know, the law in California simply doesn't allow what Shannon's asking for. Um, an armed robbery does not carry a life sentence in California, anywhere in the state, no matter whether we're talking about red or blue districts. And so, um, sure, there's been a pendulum swing back and forth uh, on these issues. And one of the most important things any elected official can do is represent the views and the voices of the people they serve and also remain grounded in data and science and evidence-based practices. We tried the extreme version of the kind of tough on crime policies Shannon's advocating. We did it for decades. Not only did it fail to make us safer, but it led the U.S. Supreme Court, no stalwart of criminal justice reform, the U.S. Supreme Court said that California's state prisons were cruel and unusual because of the overcrowding. They ordered us to find ways to decarcerate. And that started way before I even considered running for office. That trend was mandated by the conservative U.S. Supreme Court. And it is based on the law, it's based on the evidence, and it's based on a recognition that there are things like diversion programs that are more cost-effective, more humane, and actually do a better job keeping our community safe for low-level offenders. We're talking with San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin about the recall effort against him on the June 7th ballot, taking your questions for him, uh, listening in to what you think the DA could do differently. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more of your calls after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin about his time in office and the recall effort against him, which is, as you know, on June 7th ballot. I want to bring in Kirk from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Kirk. Thank you for having me, and uh, it's good to be able to speak with you directly, Mr. Boudin. I would like to ask you about some very, uh, at least one very specific, given the constraints of time, one specific instance of Troy McAllister, uh, when back in April 2020, uh, he had been previously convicted of robbery and carjacking, and he was in jail awaiting trial on yet another robbery charge, which would have made him eligible for a life sentence 
under California's three strikes law. But you decided that, in fact, the office would not prosecute on this and you would not pursue three strikes cases. And you entered into a plea deal, an agreement, which allowed McAllister to go free. And then on New Year's Eve, fleeing the scene of a burglary while driving a car he had stolen two days before and carrying a stolen gun, McAllister, whom you once defended, McAllister struck and killed Hanako Abe, who is only 27 years old, and Elizabeth Platt, 60 years old. This is a specific instance of your personal decisions and handling of severe, serious, deadly criminal conduct, which you and your office have failed to prosecute. You have failed to protect San Franciscans, and as a result, you will be recalled. All right, Kirk, I, I want to let uh, Dia Boudin respond to that. Thank you for uh, calling in. Well, first of all, this case is a horrific tragedy, and it's one that um, keeps me up at night still, now well over a year later. Um, but the facts, as you recounted them, Kirk, are simply not accurate on a number of different uh, levels. I'm not going to take the time here to correct all of the misstatements of facts. But what I will say is Mr. McAllister is currently sitting in jail. He's facing very serious charges. And I personally met with the families of the victims and had a chance to speak with them and to share their pain and find ways to try and, and support them. Um, those kinds of tragedies, which Kirk and others are cynically exploiting for political gain, occur in every jurisdiction in America. We know that the Republican Party has been a master at exploiting these kinds of crimes to promote racism and, and fear-based rather than evidence-based policymaking. We can go back as far as the Willie Horton situation that, that led a Democratic presidential candidate to lose uh, at the national level. These are not situations that are unique to San Francisco or specific to me. In Sacramento, just a couple weeks ago, there was a mass shooting perpetrated by someone who had been released from prison because of a plea deal that so-called tough-on-crime prosecutor Anne-Marie Schubert negotiated. The reality is when we look at individual facts in individual cases, we do not have a crystal ball. We cannot predict the future. What we can do is respond effectively and consistently to what we know. And in the wake of the Troy McAllister tragedy, we made serious, substantial policy changes in our office, policy changes that reflected policies that had been in place way before I became the district attorney. First and foremost, we began filing our own parole violations to make sure that we are taking responsibility for holding people on parole accountable when they mess up and not simply relying on other agencies to do so, which had been the longstanding policy, not only in San Francisco, but across the state of California for about a decade before I was the district attorney. In the last year, my office filed 45 parole violations ourselves, as compared to just 40 that were filed by the Division of Parole itself. In other words, we are making decisions with the best information available. And when things go array, when things go wrong, as they do in every jurisdiction, we are reflecting on what could have been done differently and making changes to protect San Francisco. Let's bring in Judy from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Judy. Hello. Hi, Judy. Can Hello. you hear me? Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay. Um, so I am um, strongly um, on the no side on the recall and also on the last recall of the uh, school board members. I think this is... Um, a way to overturn 
um, um, free and fair elections that occurred. Um, people voted for Chester Boudin. We won. <laughs> and uh, these people can wait until the next election and run a decent candidate that, and vote for them because we live in a democracy and that's what we do. And so I think that that's the strongest argument, by the way, for voting no um, on this recall. Chester Boudin has not done anything that rises to the level um, of being taken out of office. No, no high crimes and misdemeanors at all. In fact, I want to thank you. I think you've stood up to this, to doing the job and being attacked practically from day one. And I do want to say that I'm also aware that the six or seven, you know, progressive district attorneys in the United States are being attacked, every single one of them, by, um, by moneyed interests on the right. You could be Democrats or Republicans if you're Democrat and voting to take out progressive district attorneys who are trying new, new things instead of the lock them up um, policies of the past that did lock up mostly people of black and brown color, um, then, uh, then you're not a progressive or a liberal like the one woman said. If that's what you want, you're in the past. So um, I. Um... Yep. Th- thank you, Judy, for your comments. Appreciate that. I'm going to go uh, straight to Eli in uh, San Francisco. Thank you. Yeah, I thank you so much for uh, taking my call. Um, uh, not to dwell too much on the last caller, but, you know, I'm a lifelong Democrat, uh, never voted for Republican in my life. Uh, and I don't think one needs to wait until the next election uh, when they see things going drastically in the wrong direction. Uh, District Attorney Boudin has uh, stated that, you know, uh, prosecutions are up, but when he's providing, you know, 14 times deals where they get a slap on the wrist and can go right back on the street to burglar again, it doesn't seem like that's an actual prosecution. So my question for District Attorney Boudin is about particularly in the war zone that is underlying these days. Can you name specific convictions of, of drug dealers uh, that have uh, led to uh, fewer on the streets? I see on, a, on almost daily basis the San Francisco Police Department showing pounds and pounds and pounds of fentanyl being taken off the street, but then no one's going to jail or, or seeing any sort of consequences uh, for, for that, those actions. The situation in the Tenderloin is is devastating, and it's not a new problem. In fact, every major city in America has a neighborhood kind of like the Tenderloin, where for many, many years, poverty, immigrants, drug use, open-air drug markets have been pushed as a matter of public policy. And that started way, way before I was even in law school. And we know these problems in the Tenderloin, the, the city's most diverse community, the city's neighborhood with the most school-aged children are not new problems. And though I have been crystal clear from day one that the war on drugs is a failure and it will never solve these problems, I have continued to use the tools in my tool belt to do whatever I can to help the Tenderloin. We prosecute drug sales cases at a higher rate than any other category of case. And when police bring us a felony drug arrest, we're filing charges upwards of 80% of the time. Now, it's true that most people arrested for drug sales don't stay in jail very long. In fact, most of them are released before police officers have even written a police report 
or notified my office of the arrest. In other words, this is an example of where we need to remember there are multiple different system actors in the criminal justice system. I am not Batman. I am not God. We work together with judges and police and sheriff's deputies and juries. And in San Francisco, as across the state of California, when someone is arrested, judges, not the DAs, make the initial decision about whether that person is released from custody or held behind bars. Now, we have prosecuted more than a thousand drug sales cases since I took office on top of more than a thousand drug sale cases I inherited on day one. Now, the reality is that my filing rate in these cases is higher than prior administrations. I asked the city back in February of 2021 to introduce an emergency budget to create a fentanyl task force because I saw the scale of the problem and I saw the urgency of addressing it. And I was disappointed that nobody in City Hall was willing to recognize the emergency for what it was or introduce that budget. Now, um, the reality is that um, we know criminal justice tools are inadequate to solve the crisis that overdoses present in San Francisco and across the country. We've seen what happened with the war on drugs. And the number one most important thing we can do to prevent overdoses from being fatal is invest in public health approaches to make it easier to get help than it is to get high in San Francisco to ensure that we have safe consumption sites and treatment on demand. I've been a vocal advocate for those kinds of solutions. And until the city steps up, the Department of Public Health, our other city partners step up and create those kinds of pathways to protect lives, I'm going to continue to do the one thing in my tool belt, even though I know it is too little and too ineffective, which is to prosecute the cases police bring me, two cases a day on average from across the city. David, I mean, we have a lot more callers in the queue, so I'm going to get to them, so I want to make this kind of quick. But there are the criticisms of your office that are uh, about your approach, but then there's also the management of the office itself um, with the, the the statistic that I've seen of, of losing more than 40 percent uh, of the prosecutors in the offices as people leave. My question for you has been, is did you want those people to leave? Um, and do you see that as actually part of reforming the DA's office or do you see or how do you see that? How do you see that kind of turnover, which does seem like difficult to get the work done when there's that many people leaving? Well, there's three points that are important when we have this conversation. The first one is the turnover under my administration is really consistent with the turnover we saw in the DA's office in 2018 and 2019. In other words, it hasn't increased measurably. The second thing that's important is that across the country, resignations have increased dramatically, so much so that the New York Times and other outlets have dubbed it the great resignation. I think I read that in 2021, 47 million Americans quit their jobs. That's the most in any year on record. We know that the pandemic caused people to rethink their professional aspirations and their geographic commitments in ways that led to a huge turnover in uh, workforce. We know that in San Francisco, our labor council is demanding that the city fill vacancies in departments all across the board, not in my agency, because we have people banging down our door to get in and come work for us. In other words, we don't have vacancies that don't get applications or where we're unable to fill. We have a phenomenal array of applicants coming in, including more than a dozen former prosecutors and staff from the San Francisco District Attorney's Office 
who had left under prior administrations and wanted to come back and work for me. We've recruited and retained some of the foremost domestic violence experts in the state, people who come out of the attorney general's office, out of the um, Sacramento County District Attorney's Office, out of the Solano County District Attorney's Office, Sonoma. We are bringing in the best and the brightest criminal lawyers from around the state because they are eager to be part of the work we're doing here in San Francisco. Let me ask this. Do you think you've made missteps in the office? Absolutely. It's been a very steep learning curve. As you pointed out, Alexis, I'd never prosecuted a case when I took office, despite having tried in front of juries more than two dozen cases. Mm -hmm. Now I've presented a murder case to a grand jury and successfully secured an indictment. Now I've learned to use uh, use Zoom, something I never knew about before I took office. Uh, Now I've learned all kinds of intricate details about the ways our office works and doesn't work. And of course we've made mistakes. I should have prioritized from day one expanding paralegal support for my staff because one of the biggest issues affecting our morale and our ability to do the job well in court is limited paralegal resources. We could go on and on. Of course we've made mistakes. We make decisions every day with imperfect information, with tremendous time pressure and scrutiny. And we are trying to balance the needs of crime victims, the due process rights of defendants, the narrow, limited bandwidth of our courts during the global pandemic, and so many other factors. It's inevitable we're going to make mistakes. And the question is not, do we make mistakes, but how do we respond to them? Do we correct course? Do we learn from those mistakes and implement policies that will prevent similar future mistakes? And that's exactly what we've tried to do. Let's bring in one last call, Lucas from San Jose. Welcome. Hi, uh, yes. I had a question, uh, not really specific to our region, but just in general. A lot of the issues we see with um, repeat uh, criminal suspects is because the you know, right to speed trial isn't really fulfilled. So, you know, it'll be six months or a year before they actually go to trial and they reoffend. So not just here, but elsewhere, uh, everywhere. What are the issues that prevent uh, the right to speedy trial from, you know, actually happening? It's a great question. And um, in San Francisco, we've got a massive backlog of cases set for trial. One of the biggest limits is the number of courtrooms and the number of judges. In a typical year before the pandemic, we would do about 250 to 300 criminal jury trials in a year. In 2020, we only did uh, about 25 criminal jury trials, and most of those were done in January and February before the courts shut down. Um, It is not my decision how many judges are available for what purposes. It's not my decision how many courtrooms are available for trials. Um, The best we can do is stand up every day in court and have my assistant district attorney say, Your Honor, the people are ready for trial. You know, there's a, a lot of comments like this, um, D.A. Boudin. I just want to give you, I'm going to give you one more and, and give you a chance to respond to it. Vina writes, as a longtime SF resident, I have noticed a slow but steady disintegration of law and order in SF. And the deflection of responsibility by the DA's office to the cops or previous administration of the state is just that, avoiding responsibility. The DA's office is in charge. Why do cops feel helpless? Why is there open drug dealing in the streets of SF? Why am I afraid to walk two blocks to the Safeway near my house at dusk? In the sunset, historically one of the safest neighborhoods in the city. Something is rotten in SF. Equity and fairness is needed, but there must be a better way. Crime must have consequences. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that you don't feel safe in your neighborhood. I also live in the sunset, and um, it's essential for our city that everybody feels safe in their home, in their neighborhood, and across San Francisco, and that they actually be safe. 
We want you to feel safe, and that's what every one of our policies is aimed at doing. The sad reality is that police clearance rates, the rate at which police make arrests, are down more than 60% over the last 10 years, according to a comprehensive study by the uh, CJCJ, a, a nonprofit, uh, the Center for Juvenile and Criminal Justice. Um, that's why we led an auto burglar operation to take apart the fences that are uh, the fencing networks that are making these crimes profitable. That's why we're suing ghost gun manufacturers to get guns off the streets. That's why we're expanding victim services and fighting to protect our small businesses from frivolous lawsuits that extort money from them. That's why we file charges in a higher percentage of cases police bring us than my predecessor or neighboring county DAs. That's why we're doing the work. But you're absolutely right. We can't do it alone. And it's not just up to the district attorney. We need a police department, whether it's a staffing issue, a morale issue, a resource issue. I've read uh, countless Heather Knight articles over the last several months that document police officers standing by and watching as people commit crimes. And I've heard Chief Scott say that's an anomaly. It's not representative of what the average officer is doing. All I know is if they'd made an arrest in that case at the dispensary on Divisadero or the parklet in the marina, we would have prosecuted the people for those crimes. But we can't prosecute them if, for whatever reason, police aren't responding fast enough or aren't able to bring us an investigation to prosecute. We've been talking with San Francisco District Attorney Jason Boudin about the recall effort against him and his effort to transform the DA's office. That recalls on the June 7th ballot. Thanks so much for joining us, DA Boudin. Thank you. Great to speak with you all. And thank you to all of our listeners, callers, commenters. Sorry we couldn't get to you all today. There were a lot. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul the Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul the Story are available now.